I want to thank you all for the warm welcome that you have extended to me. It is so good to be here with you. When you are looking at a possible call to a church, you end up getting to meet a very small number of people. And so then you wonder, is everybody going to be like this? And I will tell you that the same characteristics that drew me to this place and to you all have continued to be echoed in the relationships that I've begun to form already. And I want to encourage you to reach out, to connect with me. I would love to have a cup of coffee with you or a chat, and I would love to get to know you and to hear your stories. I look forward to being with you all. Friends, our gospel lesson this morning is from the 16th chapter of John's gospel. Our text is part of the last few chapters of John's gospel, and these chapters are often referred to as the farewell discourse. You may have heard that term before, the farewell discourse, because they're coming as Jesus is telling his friends that he's going to be leaving them. And this farewell is not brief. It makes up a significant portion of John's gospel. And this makes sense. Because although Jesus has been telling his disciples that he will be leaving them, they are having trouble understanding what this means. This very short excerpt is the fifth time that Jesus will tell them of the coming of the Holy Spirit. So friends, listen for God's word for us this day in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks this day for your word for us. A word that we might hear and learn and know. God, we pray for the meditations of all of our hearts that you would speak to us in new ways. Amen. Five times. Five times Jesus says to his disciples that the Holy Spirit would be coming, that there would be an advocate, that there would be one more coming who would guide them and care for them and be with them. Five times he tells them this. Earlier this week in a meeting, Elder George Kohlberg pointed out that when Scripture, or especially when Jesus says something twice or three times, it means we should probably pay attention. We should probably listen. But how about five times? What does five times mean? And, and yes, five times probably means we should listen, right? We should pay attention. But five times also might mean that the concept is challenging, that it isn't easy or apparent or ready to see, that that there's some work for us to do to understand, perhaps some intellectual work, some spiritual work. There's work for us to do, but there's also the need for us to have a little bit of grace with ourselves. 
These disciples have been grappling with their own understanding of who Jesus is. You'll recall that in in other Gospels, Jesus even says, who do you say that I am? It's clear that it's unclear to them. Now, they've also been raised, though, with understandings of who God is. They've been immersed in the scriptures of of recounting God's stories over and over again throughout history that, that reveal glimpses to us and to them of who God is. God, the creator. And so, here now, Jesus is adding another layer another layer to this understanding of who God is. But this is happening all while he's also telling them that he's going to be gone, that he's going to leave them. There's a human element going on here, isn't there? There's a human element of of their individual loss, this, this loss of a friend that's coming coupled with this nebulous idea that although Jesus will be gone from them, God will somehow still be with them, that God's presence will remain. And so there's this interconnectionality that Jesus is trying to continue to impart, this interconnectionality between Creator, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And the oneness of them and the way that they unite and continue to knit this web of God. And we have a name for this, right? We call it the Trinity. And today we celebrate the mystery of the Trinity. Many churches, I think, don't really pay much attention to this Sunday. And you may not have even known that we have a Trinity Sunday, but we do. But in actuality, every Sunday, every time we gather for worship, we are worshiping the triune God. And we are seeking to understand that mystery a little bit more, that mystery of the oneness. So going back again, I say it again, we have to give ourselves a little bit of grace because this concept, this theological concept of the Trinity is not an easy one to understand. So let's turn again to those disciples and specifically considering their relationship that they had with Jesus. Because in looking at their relationship with Jesus and how Jesus interacted with them, we can have a look into the way that Jesus guided them through the complexities of faith and life and the interplay between faith and life. In these stories of Jesus, we gain a better understanding of who Jesus was and is, and it results in our better understanding of this God we follow. What happens is that rather than simply hearing the gospel, we begin to live it. And this doesn't happen overnight. It's a process. This is faith formation. It's our formation as a Christian. We go from hearing the good news, the gospel. That's what the word gospel means, is good news. We go from hearing the good news to seeing our lives through the lens of the gospel. Our faith is formed in good news. And this is how Jesus shaped the lives and the faith of those early disciples. As I said in John's gospel, Jesus is telling of his departure. And that word departure is a very soft way to put it, right? He's telling them of his death and his death that is imminent. 
And he uses these last days and these last moments to do what he can to reassure the disciples, to give them hope, but also to give them encouragement. But I wonder, is it really working? Is it working? When I put myself in the sandals of those disciples, and I encourage you whenever you are reading the Gospels to try and do this, encourage you to look at yourself from the eyes of those disciples, put yourself in their sandals, and when I do that in this story and try to imagine what they were thinking in those final days when Jesus is telling them that he's going to not only die, but that he's going to be betrayed and betrayed by one of them, I try to imagine what they were thinking when he describes all the things that will happen, when he tells of Peter's denial of even knowing him. What are they thinking? What would I be thinking? What would you be thinking? When we look around us, what what are the looks on the faces of the other disciples? I see looks of shock, of confusion, of denial. Mental engines trying to turn to figure out how this can be stopped. This can't be. I see the discomfort in their bodies as they shuffle, the looks on their faces. And it's in the midst of this that Jesus looks at them. Looks his friends in the eyes knowingly, understanding their anxieties, understanding their worries, understanding all that they are feeling He looks them in the eyes and he says to them, I have so much more I want to say to you. There is so much more. I want to explain all of these things to you, these complexities that I've tried to live out in your midst. There is so much more. And Jesus is saying this and knowing this, knowing that there will be so much more that these disciples will endure. There's so much more to come for them. They're going to lose him. They're going to be persecuted and most of them killed because of their faith. But he also knows they're going to be experiencing all of the struggles of life that you and I experience. And he looks at them and he looks at us and says, through all these things that are to come, you will not be alone. You will not be alone. When you're facing the trials of life, you will not be alone. When you're facing a difficult diagnosis, you will not be alone. When you lose someone you love, you will not be alone. When the one you love is slipping away, you will not be alone. When your nest is empty, when your heart feels broken, when fear overwhelms me, you will not be alone. Through all of these things, in all of these things, you will be accompanied by God who doesn't leave you alone. The Holy Spirit will be with you. And Jesus has shared this already with the disciples. And remember, these are the people who've been walking with Jesus, talking with Jesus, living, laughing, eating with Jesus. But they still don't necessarily understand what this means, what Jesus is telling them. But it's through their relationship with Jesus, through the relationship, that Jesus is able to do the hard work of preparing them for the future. 
Jesus is able to point to and use his relationship with them and use that as the foundation to help them understand or at least begin to understand how it is that they will not be alone in the future even once Jesus is gone. He uses relationship and their knowledge of him as a way to help them understand this mystery of God's continued presence. Friends, that's what we are as a church. A place of reminder, encouragement, a place of connection to who God is, who God has been, and who God will be. When I first learned about Pinnacle, I learned about a faithful group of forward-looking people who met at Troon and set up chairs in the clubhouse each week for worship. Before a spade was turned in this now sacred soil and barely a generation ago, these faithful followers of Jesus continued the legacy of the church here. I've heard your stories. Stories of, yes, new buildings and burned mortgages, but also stories of mission trips and youth retreats. Stories of VBS and Sunday school. Stories of wonderful music bringing praise to God in this space. Stories of celebrations of lives well-lived. Stories of laughter, of tears, of wonder. Stories of your ministry partnerships here in the valley, in Haiti, and throughout the world. And friends, these aren't just stories. These aren't just your story. Intermixed in all of these stories, woven into the tapestry of these stories, is the very presence of God. And not just the presence of God, but your experiences, whether you knew it or not in the moment, your experiences of God. Jesus is recounting all of those experiences. Imagine Jesus recounting your experiences, your encounters of God. Jesus is recounting these experiences of God because he knew that their future was uncertain. We've been using that word a lot in the past couple of years, haven't we? We've felt a lot of uncertainty. And like us, the disciples knew a thing or two about uncertainty. And so, yes, Jesus looked backward. He looked backward. He looked to the past. He helped them look to their understanding of who God was and who God is. They looked to the Old Testament, the scriptures, to see how God had intermingled with humanity from the beginning of time, that, that God's intention for God's people is always and has always been an intention for good. They looked to the past, to their understanding of God, the God in whose image they were created. Jesus spent so much of his time trying, seeking to remind the disciples about the goodness of God. So then, here now, reflecting backward to the past and then into their present, Jesus looks at them and he offers reassurance that the God of creation, the God who became human in Jesus, will continue to be their God. Friends, this is the Trinity. 
We can get lost in the over-intellectualization of the Trinity, or we could simply choose to ignore it altogether and say, I'll leave that one to the PhDs <laughs> over there. We can get lost in the intellectualization, but this concept, a concept whose name doesn't even appear anywhere in the Bible, but a concept that is integral and unique to our faith tradition is found in the mysterious dance of the stories of God. We find these stories in scripture, the stories of humanity's encounter with God. But we also find these stories, God's story. We also find God's story in our neighbors, in our church, in our pew mates, in our families, in our friends. You hold these stories. Stories waiting to be told, waiting to reflect others toward God. And the story of our future, our future that is one we share, and one that God shares with us, and a future that God promises unequivocally will be a future where we a future where you, where PPC, will continue to find God and where God will continue to find us. Today on this Trinity Sunday, we recognize it. Yes, the Trinity can be a little confusing. The concept of God, of Creator, of Jesus, the Son, God in human form, and then the Holy Spirit I've already referred to as helper or advocate. The idea that these are all three in one in the form of God, but they're also three distinct persons or manifestations. It's complex and confusing, and that's okay. St. Augustine wrote a treatise on the Trinity in about the year 419, a little while ago, right? And that work is still seen as one of the most important writings on the Trinity. In fact, almost every writing on the Trinity references back to it, almost as though, almost as though to say, well, I don't understand what Augustine says, but he figured it all out in 419, so I don't have to do it anymore now, right? Contemporary writer Jack Shea recounts a story about Augustine. This is what he says. As he walked along the shore of the Mediterranean Sea, Augustine was pondering the mystery of the Trinity. He came upon a small boy who was carrying a bucket of water from the sea and pouring it into a hole in the sand. Augustine asked, what are you doing? The boy replied, I am pouring the sea into this hole in the sand. Augustine laughed, can't be done. The sea is too large, and the hole in the sand is too small. The boy replied, so it is with you and the Trinity. The mystery is too large, and your mind is too small. <laughs> then the boy disappeared. I love this story. I find it to be a comfort as I struggle with the concept of the Trinity. And like many of you may have felt, I long ago was tempted to just smile and say, okay, I'll never understand it. But rather than simply throwing up my arms in the air and giving up, I've come to a point in my life where I've become more deliberately attuned, more open to trying to understand the mystery a little bit more. 
to trying to understand the mystery in scripture, but also in those stories that I hear, the stories of our lives, the stories of experiences of what seem to be ordinary life, but are somehow God intermingling among humanity. And then I try to look forward to the future, like Jesus was doing in that moment with his disciples, to look to the future, these things that are to come. And it's easy for me at the beginning of a time with you, because there is so much to come for us together in ministry here, to look toward the future with expectant hearts, awaiting God's presence and pointing one another pointing one another, our fellows on the journey, pointing one another along this path toward the glimpses of the Holy Spirit, sharing our stories of God's delightful displays. God's delightful displays and declarations of glory. This God that we worship, this God we praise here in this place, this God we encounter in the sacraments, in the wonder of music that can somehow give us glimpses of the mysteries of God that words can never give, this God we encounter in serving others, in telling our stories, this is the God who loves you. This is the God who is immeasurable. This is the God who is continually being revealed to you and to us. This is the God who cries with those who are crying, the God who holds those who suffer, the God who laughs with us and will dream with us and who will be with us. A God who pours love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. In all these things, Jesus says in all these things that are to come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.